Turn in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. We'll be in John uh, for a few more weeks uh, because we're following the life of Christ in a chronological order. And this so happens to fall right after his first miracle. Remember the first miracle, the wedding at Canaan, when, G- when uh, Mary came to Joseph and said, Hey, they have no wine. Jesus' response was, Woman, what, 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 what have I to do with thee? My hour hasn't come yet. So we know by just the wording that Mary was asking for more than just a miracle. And it could be that Mary was asking for a platform. You know, this could be the time, God, uh, Jesus, you know, I know who you are. Does the rest of the people know who you are? And you know the rap that I've been living with ever since the Holy Ghost had came upon me and I was found with child. Everyone now is looking at me, you know, like, that I'm a fornicator. That Joseph was a fornicator. Couldn't you just set the record straight? And you know Jesus' answer, and it was an answer that was by silence. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't cover her. He doesn't get her back. And he, in a way, he just said, Mary, this is something you're going to live with. You know what the truth is. You know that I'm from God, but this is not the hour. The hour will come, Mary, and it has nothing to do with you. In fact, he will never call her mother again after this point. Up to this point, and most likely all through the silent years, it was a mother-son relationship. But in after that time period, when he was pronounced the Lamb of God that will take the sins of the world, when he performs his first miracle, it will be... Mary and her Savior, not Mary and a son. Because Mary needed a Savior just as much as you and I needed a Savior. Was she a blessed woman? Oh, my goodness. I think the Protestant has done her great ill. And the Catholics have done the same thing to her. One exalted her too high and the other put her down too low. She is a blessed woman. Can't wait to hang out with her. What was it like raising Jesus? You know, did he have a cold ever? You know, did he skin his knee? You know, did did he ever give you any lip? Terrible twos. Did he go through the terrible twos? So it'll be kind of an interesting conversation. Agreed? So look at, let's read through our text. And again, we'll stand and we'll pray over it. Starting with verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. The Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and exchangers, the changers of money, sitting. And when he had made a scourge, a whip, of small cords, he drove them out, all out of the temple, the sheep, the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, and make not my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of mine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews, pardon me, the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou that thou do, do these things unto them? Well, then Jesus said unto them, you destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And then the uh, Jews, 40 and six years was this temple building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of his temple, the temple of his body. 
When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, the, uh, said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Of course, this was after this, the first miracle. He, uh, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Can we stand together and pray? Father God, again, um, we, we don't dare enter into your word without asking for your Holy Spirit to be in charge, to be completely in control, God. What goes into our minds and what filters down into our hearts, Lord. I pray, Father, that whether you speak to us collectively as a church body or individually as living stones, one stone built upon another, Lord, that, there, that we would be able to hear what the Spirit has to say, that any kind of distraction that we might have brought along with us, now in faith we just we sit that at your feet. If there's anything that's just weighing us down, God, I pray for such a time as this, you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Lord, in the last days, and we're reminded of that again, in the last days there would be a great falling away. That in the last days there would be a lack of love for your word. That people would stop loving one another and caring for one another. Lord, and we just look at the church now as a whole. And what we see today is very alarming. How something can start so simple, turn into such chaos, Lord. I, but again, it's only a sign of the times, Lord, the times in which we live. So God, would you help us sharpen our sword, as it were, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Help us to sharpen that tool that we might be able to give the reason why we have this glorious hope within us. It's the gospel, the power unto salvation. We love you, Lord, and again, ask for your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name, And we pray together. Amen. There's so much to be said in this in this section of scripture, um, I'm probably only going to handle the one portion of the whole um, Jesus cleansing the house, the temple. But every time I read this section, it causes me personally to stop dead in my tracks. You know, I, I, and, and I've been doing this a long time. I, you know, some scriptures, when you're reading through your Bible, you know, devotionally, and you come across some scriptures where you go, whoa, wait a minute. And uh, this is one of them for me. And there's a number of reasons, and I'll try to bring them out to you. One of the reasons why it's, it causes me to just stop dead in my tract is because I see Jesus is upset. You don't, you don't really think of Jesus, um, one that is upset and he displays anger. But there is a physical 
and a verbal response to this whole situation here. There's a physical and a verbal response to what he sees. It's an affront to him. That's obvious. It's an affront to him, his character, his name. All that he stood for and demonstrated. and It made him stop dead in his tracks. And it demanded a response. And some of us, we have a hard time responding to things that we see within Christianism. And we'd rather not, you know, um, respond to some things. We, re- we would rather not respond to, a, to divisiveness. Let's not respond to the trickery in, in, that's going. As long as we're okay and God's okay, everything's okay. Not according to Jesus. It wasn't okay. When he saw what was going on in his father's house, on that holy mount, the mount of Jerusalem, the mount of God, he he responded. His response was control, though. He, He wasn't out of control because it tells us that he fashioned himself a whip. He made it. The Greek means he stepped aside, found some cords, and he started to braid them together. That doesn't sound like somebody lost control, does it? And you notice what he does with the doves. Now, this is all side note. I mean, it is speculation. But it doesn't say that he overthrew the tables where doves were. He, he told them, let them go. You know, he was in control of what he was doing. He will do this twice in his earthly ministry. We find that he does it in the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. But he will do it prior to the crucifixion. Twice he will. There's nothing. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, when you look at the miracles. There's not one miracle that he does the same. In every case, it's different. You know what we would do if he did it the same? We would probably, you know, have uh, here's some mud in your eye ministry. Because there was once where Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, put him, told him to go wash it out. And when he washed off the mud, he could see. If Jesus had done that more than once, someone would try to make the first church of getting mud washed out of your eye or something like that. But this is, in this case, though, he does it twice. And it's the same response. There's still the emotional response. Some would say, you know, the pulpit's not an area for you to drag down someone's name. And, and I get that. The pulpit is not a place where you start to criti- criticize another church. I understand that. But as a pastor, as an elder, as an overseer, is it not his job to warn the congregation, the sheep of God's fold, of impending danger? Like I shared last week about the sheep. We don't want to scream out alarm, 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 because sheep have the tendency to actually run towards their predators. So we just warn you that in the church today, there are many following a different model than what the scriptures show us. But I think it is our job to make mention. Both are recorded. Both get their same response. Look at verse 13 with me. The Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there were three mandatory feasts for the Jewish males. The Feast of Passover was their greatest feast. The Feast of Pentecost. 
Pentecost, Pentecost, 50. 50 days later, they would celebrate the, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And there were the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we're not going to make a study of all those three different feasts. Boy, we elaborated on that when we studied the book of Leviticus. But they were mandatory feasts. The Feast of Pentecost is when they started to reflect back. It was only a day, though. Where they would f- reflect back to when they were in bondage in Egypt, you know, under the, under the taskmaster's whip. And how they had to make bricks with their feet. And then when Moses came along, the task got even harder. Until finally, through all the different plagues and signs and wonders, finally Pharaoh said, you know, let go. This is it. That last plague, by the way, was when they would take the blood of a lamb and they would put the blood on the lentil of their doorposts and on the two side posts. And when the death angel passed over, and that's where we get the idea of Passover, when he passed over, he would see the blood and he would not go into their homes to take the firstborn. The death angel passed over. And God said, this is one of the laws you have to keep, that every Jewish male has to go to Jerusalem at the beginning of their existence as Israel again in the land. At when you get back there, you are to keep that Passover meal. And you're to reflect back to how I passed over you because I saw the blood of Christ. It was, and, and if you think about this, it was a, daily, a yearly thing. You had to do this. It was a time of reflection to think back. And it's almost equivalent to you and I as we think back. And we think how God rescued us out of our Egypt. Egypt is always a type of the world, by the way. You know, just think about the nonsense that we might have gotten ourselves into. Some of the things in our B.C. days, and we look back and we're going, thank God for September of 1973, for me. Thank God I was on a path of destruction. And, God, and I, the blood was applied to the doorpost of my heart. Yeah, it's good to think back. It's good to reminisce. Because sometimes it puts me back on track again. Because the enemy, if he can do it in such a subtle way, he'll get us away from remembering the work of God in our lives. And then we start to venture out on our own. And that's where we start to get all mixed up and messed up when we start to think, I got this. I can do it on my own. I know what the church should look like. I know what my devotion should look like. I know. And before you know it, it's just you and whatever. And you, were, you just forgot about how God brought you out of your Egypt. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Maybe it's easy for people like, you know, me or, or my buddy Rich or George, where we knew what path we were going down. We had friends, OD, oh, drug overdose. I had my brother, youngest brother, was already in prison. I knew what path I was heading down. So when I got rescued, it's really easy for me to look back and go, thank God I could have been like all the other statistics. But somebody that might have been raised up in a church or somebody that might have been raised up in a good godly family, they're the ones that have the tendency to veer off of what God's ideals are for the church and his ideals for, what our, for our lives personally. Because they really don't have a point of reference to go back to. They're saved, but they fight a, da- a bigger danger than you and I that's been saved out of Egypt. That they'll start to go off on their own. But, it, but again, it's something that we should do. It was a, they, these mandatory feasts, all three of them, they, they would make these pilgrimage uh, down to, to Jerusalem. 
You know, his first was they come back into the land of Canaan and they start to have the, the Israel again and they started to populate and they started to go further and further away from the city. It started to get real difficult to make all the three mandatory journeys to, to, to Jerusalem. And so they started to even compromise back then. If they would do certain things during those feast days, it would be okay. But God's law was they, they were to come back to the temple mount, come back to the temple area. And again, um, those that came to that area, they made their pilgrim, their pilgrimage, their journey. Um, the thing they started to notice is they, they were beginning to be, well, they were taken advantage of, you know. They, they were being taken advantage by those that just had lust. They had a lust for more, greed. They had this, this, this sin of covetousness. They just wanted more and more. Now, this is something important for you to note. According to the historian Josephus and other historians, this happened on the outskirts of even the outer court, which would have been the court of the Gentiles. This happened in the perimeter of the Temple Mount. So as they're making this journey, they were looking, hey, you know, if you need temple, your money exchanged into temple currency, come over here. If you needed a lamb, you know, you could come over here and buy your lamb. And in fact, it wasn't actually necessarily wrong at first. It might have been just a means of convenience. You know, well, instead of these people dragging this lamb all the way across wherever they're coming from, you know, the African continent or wherever, and they're finally making their journey here, you know, instead of them carrying animals along, we'll just sell them here. Now, at first, it, it wasn't really necessarily wrong. It, it's a convenient thing, right? You can't spend, you know, the Egyptian currency up on the Temple Mount, so, you know... You have to get it exchanged for the temple currency. But it, it grew into something worse. You know, it grew into where it was, you know, to say it, frankly, it was, they were beginning to rip people off. And I can't imagine what the heart of those who are making this journey, when they finally get, get there, they're in Jerusalem, and they just see this ruckus. You know, it almost looks like the Pufladora if you've been there. How many of you been there, the Pufladora? Yeah, it's a crazy market area. It's like Wildwood in the pre-season of the vacation, you know, where everybody's trying to hustle you. Come in. Play the balloon game. You'll win, you know. And that's what it was like. It was chaotic. It, it looked like, I don't know if you've ever been into, in, at Israel, into the Arab quarter, but you want to get your minds blown away with just chaos. And they don't want you just to buy it at the price. They want to haggle with you. Am I not showing the truth? They want to barter and you're always arguing. That's what this was like. And I can't imagine these people, these dear people making this pilgrimage down there. And that's what they have to experience first. They had to go through this crowd first. Man, Josephus, again, the historians tells us that during this time period, this crowd could grow up to a million people. He even said it could grow up to two point and a, two, two and a quarter million people. The population, it, it just, it, now it's just crowded. And this is the mind picture we have of Christ coming in. He's coming in now. Now it has moved a little further and a little closer now to the temple. At Jesus, during Jesus' time, this thing was actually right in the court of the Gentiles. Look, look what he finds here in verse 14. 
He finds in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and, and doves, the uh, changers of money, the exchangers of money. You know, it, it was that God did require for them to bring this animal. This was the law. This is embedded in their minds and in their hearts from a very early age. Imagine that. You were taught your entire life. That we will have to make a pilgrimage, we'll have to make this journey, and we have to get this little lamb, and we're going to raise it, we're going to protect it. We want it to be a lamb without any spot or blemish, and we're going to make sure he's okay. And God forbid if something happens to this little animal before we get there, but if it does, well, we know that there's those people that sell animals, so we're not completely out of the game here. And, uh, and, and this area... Guys, again, it's only 17 acres. The Temple Mount is only 17 acres in size. In fact, today it's still just 17 acres, the boundaries of it. And again, but the, the city of Jerusalem, jam-packed with people. And, uh, you know, and you look at this, you study this whole thing about the Passover and the perfect lamb and the lamb, be, his, his blood being slaughtered and put on the lentil, the doorpost. It is a type of Christ, him, Jesus, the Lamb of God that was perfect. He was a lamb without spot. He was a lamb without any blemish. And so when they would bring these lambs um, to the temple area, and if, and if you got there, you know, and you found out it somehow it was damaged on the way, again, uh, you would take it to this area. And you're saying, you know, my lamb was um, damaged on the way. Um, my dove lost some feathers along the way, you know, so I, I'm in need of a perfect dove. And, a per and they would hand you, hand you this thing, you know, that's half plucked. But because it was a temple dove, it's good enough. And they would, at, at an exorbitant price, gouging, ripping the people off. See, it was mandatory. They had to do it. And I think that's what really grieved Jesus' heart. It, it wasn't like... They didn't have to. This is something embedded in their culture, embedded in their minds, in their hearts. When they got there, they had no other choice but to be ripped off. You know, as this thing grew, it became um, a thriving business. Uh, the priests started to recognize it. And they're going, look how much money. Look how much money they're making. Let's just invite them to bring it into the temple area, which would be the court of the Gentiles. But in order to you to bring it into the court, courtyard, you'll make more money there. Oh, we want a prize. You know, we, we want to tap into that. So we're going to tax you on every animal. And what Josephus tells us that the priest at that time saw how lucrative the business was. They eventually overtaxed those who were selling that, the businessmen, and they overtook the whole gamut. They overtook all of the businesses, whether it was exchanging the money or whether it was selling the doves, the larger animals, they took it over. It became such a lucrative business that they even set up animal inspectors. They wanted to make sure everyone was inspected. So before you would come into the, the temple to buy to get your animal, they would examine yours first. And if they would deem it not worthy, then you would have to again go and buy one of theirs. I mean, it was just a racket. And the thing I think that bothers me the most is this is what you would call religious thievery. It's a religious thief. And there's nothing worse 
than a religious... In my mind, I'm speaking for Harry. There's nothing worse than a, than a religious thief. A thief who breaks in is because, well, I had need of something greater. I broke in, but they are, they are hiding behind the, the word of God. They're hiding behind God himself and his name. God mandated. It's a law. You have to buy one of these. And it was nothing but religious thievery. You know, also, Josephus was telling us as far as the um, exchangers of the money. Uh, they said that Caiaphas, he did. He said he was making $3 million a year, equivalent to our currency. Three, $3 million a year. This is the high priest. This is the religious priesthood. This is the religious community. Just soaking God's people and doing it all behind the name of God. Such dishonesty. It misrepresents God. And then, something like that, no doubt, would leave a sour taste in your mouth. You know, I, I do a little bit of Facebooking. And uh, there's an old high school friend of mine that every time he can knock a Christian, he does it. I've been witnessing to him. And the last one was some kind of thing that this TV evangelist had done. And he said, see, this is what church is all about. That's wicked, man. And there is going to be a day of accountability. Jesus even said it would be better for a man to tie a millstone around his neck and be cast into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And he was not talking about the kids. What we see today on TV, the TV evangelist, or whatever movement it is, it's nothing but wicked and dishonorable thievery. All doing it in the name of God. And because it comes on us so subtle, like these people here, it didn't happen right away in the courtyard. It happened on the outskirts. It wasn't mandatory. It was just a convenience. And from convenience, then it went to a lucrative business. From a lucrative business, it went to almost, well, now it just leaves me a sour taste. Honey, you want to go celebrate Passover? Why? To go through that ruckus again, through all that? No way. All they want, honey, is your money. I'd rather just stay here. Sound familiar? It's sad. And Jesus realized that it was sad. And I think the reason he scourged the whip, or he formed the whip, made a whip of cords. Verse 15, he pushed them all out, the sheep, the oxen, and poured out the money. It was because he saw the innocent people. He was so disturbed about what was happening to the people who just said, I got a hunger for God. I just want to go worship God. Why do I have to go through this? Honey, the law says we have to. I can't even afford to put food on my table and you're telling me I have to go there now and buy this dove who looks worse than the ones we raised? I'm afraid so. Can't I bring my own lamb? I raised it all year and it's without spot or wrinkle. No, those inspectors will find something wrong with it. It's best we just eat it and buy one of theirs. For at that price, sound familiar? And you don't think we're living in the last days when God's people... 
are ripping off God's people. Jesus said in the last days there would be extortioners. I wish I had a megaphone that could reach every church in America. Are you stupid? Why are they bringing up these gimmicks, these schemes, and all these workshops that you can learn to be some kind of prophet or some kind of... Why are you doing that? Freely you've been given, so freely give it. And people who don't do that are just hiding behind the name of God. Saying this is God's law. If you want a healing in your life, then just who doesn't want healing? What parent whose child was diagnosed with cancer wouldn't bring their kid to a Benny Hinn or to someone like Joyce Myers or someone who has a positive message? I would do it in a heartbeat if I didn't know better. And yet all they're doing is taking your money and building their own mansions. If you don't believe me, Google it. You look at what Joyce Myers lives in. Joel Osteen lives in. All these men and women who do the naming and claim it. And you can be rich if you follow my. No one else is getting rich, just them. And I think if Jesus was here today, he would, he would scourge a whip together. And he'd be throwing some tables over. Amen, guys? We can't put our brains on the shelf as Christians. Think about it. Read the scriptures. It's an abomination for people to keep coming after you for your money. You have a conviction of the Holy Spirit to tithe. And you leave it there. If you have a conviction to give more than your tithe, you just leave it there. We have never asked you to tithe. We've never asked you to give money unless there was a need in the, in the neighborhood or with a family member here. That's it. We open the agape box. I don't know who gives. You can ask Rosellen. I don't know what checks come in. I don't want to touch the money. I want God to lead in God. Amen? If God guides, he what? Oh, I love when you guys say that. Yeah, it says that in, ver in verse 17, for the zeal of my pe people. I feel like that sometimes when I get dogmatic a little bit. The zeal of God's people is eating my heart up. It is, guys. To see the drug addiction that's in the church. To see the marriages that are being challenged. To see people reading books and I'm going, why on earth would you even let that stuff come into your minds when it's so anti-God? Why would you do that? The zeal of God's people is eating my heart. And I think that's why we continue to teach verse by verse and encourage you to get into the Bible and to read it. God gave them the feast of Passover. He gave them the feast of unleavened bread. Actually, the feast of pa pa Passover only lasts for one day. And then there's seven days of feast of unleavened bread. Tell me that's not like us. What are you talking about? The feast of Passover to remember how God br brought us out of our Egypt. And then the other seven days, we're sweeping house. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, they even made it where the kids would enjoy this feast. They would give these little brooms to all the little Jewish kids. They would sweep the house. We want to make sure all the leaven is out of the house. It's, it's, leaven was a type of sin. We want to make sure all the sin is out of our house. Tell me that's not applicable to us. We get, we get rescued out of our Egypt. We get rescued. I'm saved. I can't believe it. I got a name written in glory. I have gone to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to feast with the king for seven years. I just can't believe I get to do this, you know. But it doesn't relieve me of my responsibility to look into my heart and to cleanse house and to make sure there's no leaven whatsoever. What house are you talking? 
Behold, my heart, the heart, the, the tabernacle of God where God dwells. I got to examine it from time to time. They do it annually. Every year they would examine their hearts. They would make sure there's no greed. They would make sure there's no covetousness. That was Paul's problem. They would make sure there was always a love of God. And today I think that is the three elements that makes up the church today. There's greed, there's covetousness, and there's a lack of love for God. Because if you love God, you would not abuse his church. You wouldn't ask a thing from his church. And people that are writing these books, you know, with fear tactics. Remember Y2K? How many remember that whole area? Did anything happen? Say it out loud. Not at all. The three, three moons that were supposed to be a sign of him coming back. Did Jesus come back yet? Not yet, but these books circulated that if you're not right, you know, you'll not make the rapture. And then by my book, it's fear tactics. Listen, you don't need to read a book to see that there's a new leader of Europe. And that his name is Emmanuel, the Mark. You don't need to read a book about that, do you? You just need to be ready. You ready today? If he comes today in this moment, is it like, here I go, it's blast off time. Because it could happen today. Because my gut is, we are raptured before the, re the revealing of the Antichrist. He might be alive, he might exist. But before he's revealed, the, the trump's got a sound. Mom and dad have to be raised first. And then we will, that are, we may, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Be careful. Don't look to Christendom as an example. Look to God for the examples. I'm going to close with this thought. And if Greg, you'll come out. Um, would you turn to Psalms 51 for me? It's a familiar psalm. It's a, I, I, I say this is a familiar psalm. It, it is for me. It's a, an old friend. Certain scripture pa or passages of scripture, I, I actually title them like my old friend. Because I like every now and then go to this. I like going to John 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you, and as I, you know, and then I will come back and receive you unto myself. That's an old friend, and this is an old friend. I have studied this thing over and over and over. This was written by David. It was written right after he had committed that sin with Bathsheba. When David would say sacrifices and offerings, you would not. David understood that the sin he committed, he deserved death. And no sacrifice, no offering could bail him out. Not one. You talk about a man that understood grace in the Old Testament. He was one. He starts it off by saying, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. That term loving kindness in the Hebrew is far and few. You don't find that term throughout the Old Testament, hardly ever. Loving kindness. Now, they, they, they were gar, gar, uh, governed and, and, and guarded and guided by the law. It wasn't about loving kindness. It was about protection. But he says, according to thy love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And another thing that was hardly thought of, 
Just blot out my transgression. See, they didn't understand blotting out my transgression. If they wanted to be made right with God, they would make the mandatory journey up to Jerusalem to lay that little sacrifice out for the priest to examine, to cut its throat, to shed the blood. Then their sins were blotted out for one year. But that's not what David is saying here. His blot out my transgressions. Clean. A clean slate. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Again, that's something they didn't understand. They understood ritual bathing, but they had to do it annually. If they wanted to go back into the temple area, they would have to go through these rituals. He's under, he understands, I want you to thoroughly, just clean me all the way. He says, and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression, my sins are ever before me. I got to live with what I've done. And there are those here even today where there's just things from your past haunting. And you're going to live with that until, until you're raptured. You will. There are some things I wish I could go back. And I can't. I don't even want my mind to go back there. Because it just destroys me. But there's some things we just live with. Knowing that the blood of Christ has cleansed us. And that the only reason you and I are going to heaven one day is because of his mercy and his grace. I'm glad he allows those things there. You know why? Because I think I have an argument with Paul the Apostle. I think I am the, the chiefest of all sinners. And I only get into heaven by his mercy and his grace. I don't have to buy a book to, to get there. Or a series of tapes or workshops. I know my name is written in heaven. It's a new name. And when I get there, I'll learn it. I don't have to lay on a grave and try to conjure up spirits to get that special anointing. This is stuff that's going through the church today. I don't believe there's gold dust in my Bible. I can't even keep my notes in my Bible. It's so worn out. I don't think I'm going to wake up one day and have an angel's feather sitting on me. I'm not even sure if angels have feathers. Against you, in verse 4. And only you have I sinned. And I've done this evil in your sight. That's, that's such an alarming phrase. I've done this in your sight. Everything we do is noticed by God. Our out, out of control anger. You want to know what godly anger is, by the way? You note takers? It's anger that comes from zeal. Zeal for God and his name, his character. Zeal for his body. Selfish anger is when you get angry because someone's done you wrong. That's selfish anger. That's out control anger. Even if you bite your lip, it's still in your heart. You murdered somebody. You got to ask God to deliver you from that. But he noticed that everything he's done, he's done before. I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and, and be clear when thou judgest. I deserve to be judged. Behold, I was sheep in iniquity. I was born this way. Job alluded the same one that he was shaping in iniquity. He goes, he, Job even understood that. I was born this way. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Right here. That's where, that's where we do the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We start to look at our hearts and we go, wait a minute, God. I, there are things that if you were to come back and point at them, you would say, I'm not pleased with that. The inward parts, the hidden parts, thou hast made me known wisdom. He says, purge me with hyssop. Remember, 
Psalms is written in a poetic way. What he's asking, purify me from my sins. Yeah, we can acknowledge that we have sin, but we also need to be cleansed from our sin. He says, I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy of, and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. That's how bad David felt about his sin. He felt so badly that he, he describes it, my bones are broken. That is a depressed individual. That is a man laden down with a lot of conviction and guilt. And he's just falling apart. But notice who he goes to. Does he go to the priest? Why? They just rip you off. Does he try to sneak a sacrifice to have it? Why? They're just going to, get, um, they're just going to somehow take advantage of me. He doesn't want to go to the temple. He just wants God to do it. And my prayer is for us guys that this will be a place of refuge. That people when they come in here, whether they know God or don't know God, that they'll find a place where only God's word is taught. Where healing is, is provided. Cleansing is offered through the blood of Christ. Amen church? He says, make me hear the joy and gladness. Hide, my, hide thy face from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Don't keep looking at it is the idea. And create in me a clean heart, O God. And he goes on and he says, the reason why I want my heart to be cleansed. And by the way, that word uh, create, create in me a clean heart, is the word bara. That means nothing is there. Right at this point, David feels nothing's there. I've sinned. I've blown it too badly, greatly. And it's nothing. I have nothing to offer you. But I know you, if you just speak your word. You can create a clean heart. You can start all over. And how many of us have ever gotten that low where we can say, I don't even want this rearranged. As your child, I want you to start something new and something fresh. I want to feel the gladness of your spirit. I want to feel the joy of your spirit. Would you do, do something new in my life? And this place that we call our church that we call it our church, but the church is the body of Christ. Amen, guys? It's not these four walls. We hang out here as a church. We want this church to be a place where people can come in and feel welcomed and feel loved and that we're not trying to dip into their pockets. That if there's healing they need, they can receive it. If there's cleansing they need, they can receive it. If they just need to be born again, it'll be a place where the gospel is always preached. Let's stand together. David said, if God would do that, cleanse his heart, put that joy back in there, start something new. He says in the following verse there in chapter 51, he says, and then I'll be able to teach the transgressor his way. The worst thing you and I can do, Christian, listen to me, is to allow the shortcomings and the sin to keep reigning in our hearts. I'm not questioning your salvation. But I'll tell you something spiritually. You'll never be able to reach another soul without the Feast of Unleavened Bread going in and examining. Now, we don't do it annually like the Jews did. They had to keep going back. But Paul the Apostle to the church in Corinth, he says, let a man therefore examine himself. That word examine is scrutinize. Diochemzo. 
Scrutinize your heart. Look carefully. Because when we look carefully and we examine it to the light of God, we're going to see things that ought not to be there. And that's between you and your heavenly Father. But pray the prayer of David. God, I don't want this. I want to be able to reach my mom, my dad, my sister, my kids. And if I am a man that has uncontrolled anger, if I am a man that has lust in my heart, if I am a woman that's prideful and wants to usurp authority, whatever it is that we want to dance with, you will never ever reach the ones you love the most. Did you know that? Then you're able to teach the transgressor. Would you lower your heart heads for me just for a minute? No one looking around. I'd say that no one looking around because it is encouraging for others. Because right now I'm going to ask you that question. Is everything okay? The zeal of my father, it eats me up daily. Last thing I can imagine that I would want to imagine is if the rapture happened before this prayer was done, that some would be left behind. Examine your hearts. Do you know him? Are you saved? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I want to ask the others... Do you need to go back? Do you need to sweep the house? John tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our unrighteousness. As we end out in this song, if you just want a prayer, you can make your way up here and find someone on the prayer team to pray with you. You can pray in your seat, that's fine. But I know wherever two or three touching the same thing in agreement, the Bible never teaches us to be lone rangers. Is slip out of your chair, come down here, find somebody to pray with. Amen, church? Okay, Greg.